Ladies and gentlemen, prepare for a kosher feast. Chris prepared a special five-piece combo just for the Beast of the East. It's NBA Finals. It's MLB Top 10. And we even got Dr. Kate to come on again. That's for segment three. But for right now, this is Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. Beast. We got a kosher five-piece. NBA Finals. Beautiful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to start you off with a little bit of Gevilte fish. That's at least that's what this, it, it says this stuff is here. Yeah, typical. Yeah, it's typical first feast we tend to have in Jewish dinners. Okay. So here's your Gevilte fish. Please. Would you put Chris Paul as a top five point guard of all time? If he wins this NBA finals, put him as a top five of all time. There've been a lot of great point guards in this game. John. And then Chris, Oh my God. Maybe the Gavilta fish is rotted. Chris actually put this list, right? Mm-hmm. Magic Johnson at number one makes sense. Yes, that's fair. He then goes straight to the Homerism and puts Steph Curry at number two. Of course. He well, does. Steph Curry, he's like, he idolizes Steph Curry. He loves well, him. Um, Oscar Robinson was his number three. Isaiah Thomas is his number four. Those are fair. I mean, those are fair choices. They were they were all very, very good at their at their craft. No doubt about it. And he puts number five as Chris Paul. Uh, that I don't know about that. No, there, there have been a lot of great point guards. Four of them are fine. I mean, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook's a solid point guard. Why, why is he not on the list? Russell Westbrook gives you 30 points a game. When Russell he Westbrook is better than Steph Curry. There's well, one that uh, doesn't belong. Where's Bradley, at, where, where's Bradley Beal? Where's Bradley Beal? Hmm? He ain't there yet. But if you look at all these guys, Magic Johnson, Chris Paul, all this, and then here's Steph Curry. It's like, one of these things is not like the other. One of these things just doesn't fit. <laughs> Seriously, Steph Curry does not fit on a top 10 point guard list, a top five point guard list of all time, He's of all great, time. He's one of the so great, you're telling me Doc simple. Rivers ain't, ain't none. Doc Rivers wasn't nothing, right? He, he, he was nothing. Oh, Mark Jackson, that guy just, you know, terrible point guard. He ain't a top five point guard in the history of this game. Nah, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. Oh, no. Uh, what about uh, Mr. Ron Harper? Everybody forget him. Yeah, yeah. There's, you know, Derek. Yeah, I would have put Derek. You know, Derek Nash, Rose, Derek Rose anyone? The yeah. coach of the Nets? I would have put Derek Jason Rose. Kidd? I would have put Derek, Derek Rose? Rose. Derek Rose. Yeah, I would put Rose on that list for a time. Where, where's Derek Rose, right? I don't know where he is right now. Well, th- at least not on this list. And I'm surprised put- you didn't put Trey Young down, even though he's 22 years old, right? I would have put Trey Young down if it, if it was up to nah, me. I wouldn't have put Trey Young on a top five list. But the point is, like, okay, look, I understand Oscar Robinson's there. The fact that you put Isaiah Thomas fourth and Steph Curry second is just unbelievable to that me. That should be flipped over. That should be Isaiah second and should be Curry maybe lower. Curry should be in a trash bag somewhere in terms of this a uh, top five. I'm not saying Steph is bad. He's not bad. He is one of the greatest shooting point guards. No, the greatest shooting point guard we've ever seen. But you know what? Point guard's job is to run the floor, be a floor general. 
and I've noticed something when Clay Thompson ain't out there for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Their um, point game is not as cohesive. Clay Thompson also knows how to distribute the basketball. Right. And you saw Curry's ability to distribute become very much less. You saw how one dimensional Golden State was without their big, without their split, without the Splash Brothers. Without Clay, let me tell you something, Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson, I think, show this season off showed exactly how important Clay Thompson was. But will Chris Paul be a top five point guard of all time? I think Chris Paul's a top ten point guard of all time already. Mm-hmm. If he wins this finals, I don't think he's top five of all time because once again, Nash was better. And then I don't and then Nash I want better than Curry. And then I want to read this little uh, other bit that Chris put down. This is when he put down about Chris Paul. His re- all right, number five, Chris Paul, his resume and made the New Orleans, the Clippers, the Thunder, and, well, obviously Phoenix, winners. Okay. Well, he did. And the Rockets. He got you're Phoenix the to Rockets. the finals. Yeah, he did get Phoenix to the finals. That's that's fair. Yes. And, and you're forgetting the Rockets. Let me tell you something. Yeah. If it wasn't for him, the Rockets not have gotten out of first rounds. And uh, didn't the Clippers, I mean, they had Paul, didn't they choke? being up 3-1 and couldn't finish a series, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, but, um, yeah, that was with Chris Paul. That was with, uh, who else was on that team? Because at that point, it was uh, Chris Paul. It was... Um, wasn't uh, Paul George there yet, or he still wasn't a Clipper just yet? No, I'm not sure if he was a Clipper he yet. yet. Kawhi became a Clipper first, no? Kawhi joined in... No, the- yeah, Kawhi joined with Paul George the same year, and um, Chris Paul and others were not were gone mm-hmm. by then. Yes. Okay. That uh, Chris Paul's had a crazy journey, but he's not a top five. No. Let's no. take a look at. Uh, we have some latkes here. Mm. Which backcourt do you trust more, Paul and Booker or Holiday and Middleton? I'll tell you the answer right now. It's Paul and Booker. Oh yeah. But not even not even a contest, Paul and Booker. You have seen, have you seen where Holiday and Middleton have been in this final so far? What are they doing? Well, in game three, Middleton was all up in it, and that's why the Bucs won. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know. By 20. But, but again, what I'm seeing with the Bucs, and it's been the common thread, Giannis had to carry the whole offense, and Holiday and Middleton are kind of like third spokes on the wheel. When he yeah, was because hurt, Paul Holiday and Middleton Booker, carried this team when he was hurt. Yeah, because Paul and Booker are the two people that are assigned to make Middleton and Holiday's lives a living hell. And they play defense, this Suns team. So especially Chris Paul out on the he's making Holiday's life a living freaking hell. The difference with game three mm-hmm. was the Bucks were cleaning the glass and Giannis looked like Giannis again. He looked like not a guy with a sore knee. He looked like he was healthy. So he wasn't forget- limping or anything. He wasn't even limping or moving around bad at all. He was not at all. Game clean. three, game three looked a lot better. Looked a lot better on his legs than even he did in game two with the forty-point performance. We've seen the Bucks. We've seen the Bucks come back from two-zero deficits uh, throughout throughout these playoffs. We saw them come back from two-zero down to the net. And they got, thought they were done. They got two more games left. They got two more home games left, including uh, tonight. Yep. Tonight. We'll see what happens. Obviously, this is a big game for if you're the Bucks. Yeah. When we have Dr. Kate on the show, she's going to come on around the time when, um, you know, the finals should be going on. So we'll be giving you live finals ticking. Mm-hmm. Well, at least as we were seeing it live right then and there. 
I know this is going to be released after, but we'll let you know as it goes on. But we're going to be talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo's uh, knee. We'll also be talking about uh, Garrett Cole and that, uh, you know, long home run. That that, that long outing, that nine innings of uh, shutout. I said home run. No, no, no. He he threw a home run. If you want to, if you if you could ever throw a home run, that's what Garrett Cole did before the All Star break. We're gonna find out how that affects his shoulder. But let's get right into this third. Question. You know, here is those kebabs you were waiting for. Mm-hmm. They're coming off the grill right now. Yum. Win or lose, will the finals affect Giannis's legacy? Well, Giannis is still 25. He's still very young. But I yes. probably could say this. I don't know if the Bucks will get back to this stage for a very long time. I agree with that. Unless they uh, unless they do something to shore up that big three they've got. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if uh, this Buck team will be together next year. You might see a few of these pieces leave next year. Could you imagine if uh, DeRozan joins Holiday and... Uh, That'd be that'd be filthy. Holiday and Giannis. That'd be filthy and that'd be filthy. Middleton's still there too for a little while. So remember, they've got their three locked down, and they have enough room to add one more. If anything, I don't think this is going to affect Giannis's legacy at all. I think it's going to. Boost I think it does. Leg- I think it's just going to boost his legacy for the type and what type of presence he's been already in these NBA Finals. He's obviously the best player on the floor. I I, I don't oh, yeah. think you could tell me different. There's nobody. First off, uh, Giannis is the best player in the world. Can we finally just admit that? Can we finally just admit Giannis is number one right now because he is? Kevin Durant for how talented he is. I mean, I'm not faulting Kevin Durant at all. I'm just saying Giannis Antetokounmpo is younger, faster, stronger than than Kevin Durant. He's a very different specimen of NBA player that we have never seen. Giannis is actually very more old school. He's old school mixed in with a little bit of athleticism that allows his game to translate to here. And you know what? It's working. It's working so far. Running everything through Giannis is working perfectly because if Giannis is there, the defense is doubling and tripling him, and that sets up other people so that Giannis and Holiday, so that Holiday could get assists, that Middleton could get opportunities. Middleton's been cleaning up the glass very well. So uh, along with shooting the ball better in game three, he was cleaning up the glass. You saw the Bucks diving for rebounds. You saw Milwaukee Buck basketball because they unabated and uninterrupted. They they knew they were down 2-0 and they have to play with a lot more desperation and play with a lot more urgency. If they play like this, they're going to win the series. Like I said, they would. We'll see. Look, I said it was going to be a seven game series. So so for a seven game series to take place, you're going to have to deal with possibly losing two games in a row, getting beat in your own building, getting blown, getting your socks blown off in Phoenix like they did twice. There's not been one close finish in this finals yet. Not Not one. Doesn't mean we aren't due for one. Oh, no. I think we're going to be due for about a good four of them. Well, we're going to find out. Let's go to the next one. This is our shawarma, baby. The shawarma. Which one is more likely to return to the finals? Suns, that's an easy answer. Well, that's an interesting one because, I mean, you know, Suns, you're playing in the Western Conference, you know, Lakers there. You have to deal with LeBron. You know, you got 
You got uh, the Clippers are going to be back. Who knows? The Suns were legit beating the Lakers in the regular season when both of their stars were there. The Jazz are going to be back. The the Jazz will be back to full power. The Nuggets will be back with Jamal Murray. Jazz are a paper tiger. We've we've seen this this year. The Jazz are a paper tiger. The Nuggets are going to be back with uh, Jamal Murray. That is not a paper tiger. That's a potential NBA champion. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, you know, the Clippers, if they keep Kawhi Leonard, uh, the Clippers are still very much a threat. If the Clippers keep Kawhi Leonard, the Clippers are the biggest threat in the Western Conference. Golden State is going to You have- saw what Paul George just did. If Paul George could perform like that with Kawhi on the court, the Clippers are winning titles Golden State- over the Nets, over Golden- the Nets. Golden State will get back the Splash Brothers. And don't Splash Brothers the- are Draymond Green, and don't sleep on Golden State in free agency everybody sleep. thought golden state was going to be set with the splash brothers with the splash brothers and draymond green they went out and got kevin durant what's to stop them from doing something like that now i wouldn't sleep on the memphis grizzlies either john morant got some great experience playing in these playoffs and you give a piece or two to john morant that that grizzlies team is going to be dangerous as well you got about nine teams in the western conference that all if they got to the actual finals had to have a chance to beat eastern conference teams that's the how bucks strong might the have a little, i think the bucks have more of a chance because again the eastern wrong. conference is not as strong as the west kyrie harden durant all on one team though they're just all they're all on brooklyn though it's not like they're playing on different teams when that brooklyn, team is healthy when that team is healthy they are the most talented team in the nba when that team is healthy they are one of the most offensively sound and prolific teams we've ever seen. When healthy, they could defend the perimeter very well. That's Brooklyn. That's fine. That's fair. That's Brooklyn only. I'm not saying the Hawks are not going to be a threat. They're going to be very dangerous. I expect the Hawks to be dangerous. Too. Every year, Trey Young and Kevin Herter get better. Is another year yeah. closer yeah. that Atlanta gets to a title. But then look at the rest of that East. Okay, look, the Knicks got there. It was it was a dream. It was a Cinderella. I'm sorry, the Knicks are trash right now until they get another uh, person. I'm not saying that they're a trash roster, but right now, in comparison to the top four teams of the East, they're not on par. They're going to get somebody. Uh, The Celtics are going to. I don't know. The Celtics are going to be. The Celtics are breaking apart. That Ainge left. Rebuild. New organization. Everything's new. The Pacers. Are they going to be any good? Who knows? Right. You never know. I mean, if Karis LeVert gets to play a full season for them, we'll see. Are the Wizards going to be any good with Westbrook? They barely made it in. They they did find Westbrook their way Westbrook and in. Beal. I mean, Westbrook and Beal are not a bad combo. They they the rest played. Of that team is not very good. Let me just say something. Good. They played very very well in the second half of that year. They were one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference just to get into the playoffs in the first place. They had to win a lot of games to get there. But you see, but now you see what I'm talking about with that Eastern Conference. Okay, that's about a good four, maybe five teams there that kind of are teams to look out for in that East. But you look at the West when you have nine teams in the West and any one of them could get in the way of the Phoenix Suns. And there's only one team that could legitimately get in front of the Bucks right now, and that's the Nets. Yeah, and the Sixers, it. by the way, are still there. And yeah. they're not trading Ben Simmons. They are going to double down on him. But do you know what? He, he, they're still a threat. Until Ben they're Simmons still a learns threat. even the littlest bit of how to shoot. Agreed, but they're still a threat. They're still a threat. I mean, the Sixers are still a threat to take the Bucs out of the series. They can take lots of teams out. I actually forgot to add a 10 team to the West. Don't sleep on the Mavericks with Luka Doncic. Don't even sleep on them either. 
Well, right now you're good. right now you're dealing with a, a war between their two stars with Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis. Luka's going to win because he's the younger he's the younger buck out of the two. Obviously, but now who are you going to get to replace uh, Porzingis's production in that Dallas lineup? Because without him, they're obviously not equipped to beat other teams. No, you don't think maybe uh, Mavericks don't take a Celtic or two? Maybe put them on the team. Maybe they take maybe a, maybe they take a Bradley Beal or something. I think the Mavericks are going to be big players in free agency. Oh, yeah, they, they're expected to be big time. All right, let's go to our Dessert. final. What is this? The I don't know what. The, what is that? Oh, babka is a very delicious chocolate cake. Ooh. Yes. That's or it could be cinnamon. It could be, it's basically a cake. You can have it in cinnamon, chocolate, any type of little flavors. It's, so we got a chocolate babka here. That sounds good. Chocolate babka. This is a good one. Which coach, which coach do you trust more if they are down 3-2 in a series? And. Both of these two coaches, obviously, Mike Budenholzer and Monty Williams, they were both Greg Popovich's pupils. Both of them were working under Pop. Obviously, Monty's the better coach. And if you want a good example why he's a better coach, you saw when he had a little sit-down with DeAndre Ayton in game two. He wasn't yelling at him. He wasn't telling him, you're going to do this or I'm, or I'm sitting you on the bench. Uh, you're going to do this or, or, or you're not playing the rest of the game. No. Nope. No. That's what you do with a young player. You motivate them to play better. You motivate them to go back out there and put the game on your shoulders. I don't think Coach Bud is not doing similar things. I just think Monty Williams is better. I think Monty Williams is better. But do you know what, though? People get on Coach Bud a lot. Let me just say this. How many years in a row have the Bucs made the playoffs in a high seed in the Eastern Conference? Well... Let's take a look. Last year, of course, they were expected to go very deep last year, and the Heat blew them out in four games in the bubble 2020. But mm. then if you, you look at them the rest of the way, you look, Budenholzer has done a tremendous job with this team. I am not. Look, when you get a team to the postseason multiple times in a row in the NBA, that 2018. That, so Mike Budenholzer took over in 2018. The previous every year, Jason Kidd. 18 playoffs, 19 playoffs, 20. Playoffs, 21 playoffs and a finals appearance. Yeah. So let's be real here. Everybody who's down on coach bud. Why don't you go and take a team of men and put them into the NBA finals before you start calling him a bad coach. Look, is bud the greatest coach out there? No, he's not. Obviously you see deficiencies. Yeah. And everyone doesn't call timeouts at the right time. He doesn't stop momentum at the right time. He doesn't pull his players off at the right time. You see the problems with the coaching of the box. You do. He was it's, already it's under. There. He was already under the hot seat. He was going to get fired. Well, now he's, he's not. He's made the finals. He's not getting fired. Doesn't mean he won't get fired. You know, we've seen. Didn't Joe Girardi get uh, fired? If the Bucks fire him. Coach Bud for losing the NBA Finals to an obviously superior team in the Suns, then he's then then, then Milwaukee's a crap organization. Uh, Joe but, Girardi um, got let go for taking the Yankees one game to the World Series. And uh, the Yankees right now, what are they, Beast? I think we had a whole manifesto on this a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, they're at the bottom of the barrel right now. and God They're a crap organization. Resist the pinstripes. Put your fists up. Anyway, um, the fact of the matter is this. Yeah. And we'll go on to our next segment after I'm done with this point. Sure. The NBA Finals this year. We didn't get the finals we wanted. I think we got the finals we needed because we needed this finals to prove that DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker are stars. 
We needed this finals for Chris Paul to finally get an opportunity at the NBA championship. And we needed this finals to prove once the Bucks win in seven that Giannis is the best player in the world and that he will ascend to a point beyond Kevin Durant and a point where he's going to be the most dominant player in the league for many, many years to come. Giannis is the leader of this new generation of stars. Yeah. He was the first of it, and you're going to see him running stuff for a long, long time. I'm just happy that with these playoffs, and I'm going to end it on this note, I'm just happy we got to see younger teams. We got to see new stars, maybe the next future of the game, finally getting to be on that playoff stage and really showing the world what they're capable of doing. Yep. No more did we have to get stuck seeing LeBron, seeing Curry every year, seeing Durant and Irving every year. They're accomplished stars. They're still there. Look, they're still there. They're still there. But we didn't get to see fully what Giannis could do in a playoff until now. Now we're seeing what Giannis can do. Yep. Now we saw what Giannis is a warrior too. Anybody that anybody, not a warrior, not a Golden State warrior. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about he's an actual warrior. Like this person has the great determination that you expect from a great player like him. We saw what Giannis could do. We saw what Trey could do. Heck, we even saw what Paul George could do. Finally, after how many years? I mean, Paul George finally played like he was supposed to. He played like a number one guy on a top team because that's what he's getting paid like. So if you're getting paid to be the number one guy, remember Leonard makes less money than Paul, than Paul George. So just say this straight away. If you're the highest paid player on your team, that's what you're supposed to do for the first time since he's been a clipper PG 13 went rated R and did his job. And we'll see if he can use this off season to motivate him even further to go deep next year. That will be something promising to say. Uh, by the way, little uh, heads up with game number four. It's going to be Wednesday at nine o'clock instead of tonight. Oh, wow. So when we talked to Dr. Kate, we were actually going to be able to talk to Dr. Kate and not have to look back and forth at a game. No, we'll be able wonderful. to. Or as Chris Jericho would say, wonderful. When, when we, we come, come back, back, our MLB top 10. With a bit of a help. This is a all-star edition of the MLB top 10. This is the halfway point in the MLB season. Who's the best team in baseball halfway through? And um, just, just letting our friend Tony know that, you know, he might be our researcher, but every once in a while we bring in people to uh, check on that work. For the All-Star Edition, we got a special researcher coming on to the show to uh, assess this uh, MLB top 10. Beast, you haven't seen it. Mm-mm. I know this guy hasn't seen it. I took a look at it. I'm glad I'm, I'm bringing someone in to check the work. I'm scared. I'm scared right now. You should be. Find out why Beast is a little bit afraid. Will he lose his shawarma four-piece? I might throw it all up. Back after this. Break. 
And we're back to downtown sports. I'm the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. We're going to get into our MLB Top 10. And we have a guest researcher to check it over. Before we get into all that beast, where can they hear us? We're on 14 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, and Verbal. 14 platforms, rants, digital market battle specials, episodes every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are downtown sports and we are where sports come home. Speaking of rants, go check out the uh, major league uh, report card I gave for the Yankees and the Mets. You might be shocked at some of the grades I give, but you have to check that out to understand what that was. But before we get into this top 10 now, Beast, I told you we were going to bring in somebody to you know check over Tony's work because you've been getting tired of how crazy and psychotic these right. lists have been sometimes. So we're going to check over Tony's work. Shout outs to Tony Manville. He is responsible for this uh, downtown sports MLB top 10. Ladies and gentlemen, former researcher for WFAN, Mr. Corey Davis is here to check over this top 10 list as we go through it. Corey, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Always. No problem, man. So I let's just dive right into this really quickly. So Beast, Corey, I'm going to let you guys take the commentary. And we start off with our number 10 team. And this is our final list before the all-star break. The New York Mets are number 10. number 10. I'm sort of okay with this, I think. Uh, Pete Alonzo leading the club with 17 home runs, 49 RBIs. He looks like he's back on track. Jacob deGrom is performing at 1928 style standards with a 1.0 ADRA and a 0.54 whip opponents batting average 126 we haven't seen stuff like this in 100 years no i'm not denying that john i mean look i guess eh, number 10 for the mets could i could i say i'm okay with that yeah i think though you look at that last series with the pirates and that's probably why the mets are 10 and maybe not at least nine or eight you the last thing you could have done was split with the pittsburgh pirates and particularly losing that last game before the break the way they did up five, nothing and couldn't hold the lead. And some of the old habits of the Mets returned. You bring back Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning where you're never supposed to do that. You, you save him for the ninth. You made him throw 15 plus pitches in just the eighth inning to get out of it. He then blew the lead in the ninth. Mets ended up losing the game six, five. And right now the Mets are only three and a half up in the division. So it's not like they've run away with the East. Nope. Yeah. I mean, I mean, for me guys, uh, I'm fine with this uh, at, at 10, you got to think the Mets have been uh, riddled with injuries for most of the year. Um, I think, you know, at 47 and 40 um, and leading the NL East, I think it's quite impressive what they've done. Um, you know, having this uh, B squad come out there, Jonathan VR, um, and, uh, you know, Pilar play really well. Some of these guys, Khalil Lee, you know, guys that we haven't even heard of are, are playing really well. So I think the um, pitching staff has, has really um, uh, done a great job of keeping the Mets afloat. Yep. Um, and, and, and I'm totally fine with this at 10. What I'm excited about is the next half for the Mets. I, I think that they are the team to look at yep. uh, in the NL. And, and the reasons for that, there's, there's some, you know, obvious reasons as far as 
their health getting uh, coming back. You have Nimmo coming back, mm-hmm. Conforto hopefully getting healthy soon. We 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 uh, heard that Carrasco is going to be having his first start soon. Mm-hmm. Noah Syndergaard is coming back. All these guys and impact players. Not to mention the fact that they could potentially add people. Uh, in the trade deadline, I'm hearing stuff about tre- uh, Trevor, Trevor Story. Story. Yep. I'm hearing stuff about Chris Bryant. So, so the story one was from Buster only in the middle of the day that came out today. I, I heard that, and and just to round out my my thought here is the thing I love about the Mets is the intangibles. I think that there is something special with this team that you can't measure. I think a guy like Marcus Stroman. Pete Alonso, they're, they're bringing a certain energy. So I'm excited to see what they, they bring in the second half. At number 10, I'm totally fine for right now and where they're at. It's going to be an interesting second half for the Mets. Uh, they start on the road. They're going to get the Pirates right off the bat. So they have a little chance at some payback. The payback. Reds then come next. And then the Mets are going to have a challenging 18-game stretch without you a mean day a meat off. grinder 18-game stretch? <laughs> Who are they it's playing? Be, well, it's going to be a tough It's going to be a tough stretch. You're playing the Jays, the Braves again. You're going to have the Phillies mixed in there. You're going to have – you still have to go out west in August, which is going to be a very tall challenge. I'm not August saying the Mets can't you're playing the Dodgers and the Giants twice. I'm not saying the Mets can't meet that challenge, but it is going to be a very difficult stretch of games, and the Mets are going to have to play consistent baseball, and you're going to have to see guys like Conforto start hitting. You're going to have to see Lindor start hitting. You haven't seen it yet. Yeah, a lot, you know, some pieces have done their job, but Lindor is hitting 220. Conforto seems to have a knack for striking out. Yep. The deal is still not quite More there so yet. Usual. The thing I'll say, though, John, and, and is the Mets can really uh, step on the throats of the other teams in this division. If you look throughout this division, you have the Braves with Ronald Acuna, their number one player, maybe gone for the season. I mean, right now it's the Mets and, and then everyone else fighting for, for number two, the way I see it. The Nationals- well, the Phillies the Phillies are primed to go for a run as they get healthier. Their bats work. If they can figure uh, out their pitching. I'm not going to deny that. I, I think the Phillies are probably more dangerous than the Braves and the yes. Nationals. Agreed. Um, but, but, you know, I think right now, the way it, it, it sits, I think the Mets are the team to beat in the NL East. I think uh, I think a lot of people have uh, them at seventy seven percent chance to make the playoffs. Number nine. Let's go to number nine. Who we got? The Oakland Athletics. Uh, Matt Olson is third in the AL with an OPS of nine thirty eight at the break. Chris Bassett is ten and two with a three point two eight ERA and nineteen starts. He's been the model of consistency. Despite Houston overtaking them, the Athletics have stuck around. They've done what they've done all year: consistently win series. I'll give them that. I'll, I'm going to give Oakland that. They do have a great team. They've, they've kept this good hitting core together for quite a long time. you kind of seen some of their bats not live up to where you want. Matt Chapman's been middle of the road. He hasn't really hit the way you want. Olsen's no doubt carried this lineup. You've seen uh, Murphy have a good season carrying the load. Loriano in the middle of things. The only tough part is you play in the AL West. You know, it's actually pretty ironic. Almost the entire AL West is actually playing extremely well. The, the Mariners are above 500 at this stage of the season, which no one thought they were going to be. The Angels have hung around. Oakland has something. And I'm waiting to kind of see if maybe they will add a piece or two. The, the rotation, I think, could use another arm. The, the pen, you still have some question marks with it. But if Oakland can make a statement in the second half, maybe they can give the Astros a little bit of a run. But we'll see. I, I think the A's are just an incredibly um, uh, impressive franchise. I mean, you look at the last few seasons, 
They made the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. They made the playoffs in 2019. They made the playoffs in 2018. Um, there are uh, a model of consistency in, in, in baseball with the lowest payroll uh, or one of the lowest payrolls in all of baseball. So Billy Bean has continued to um, uh, work his magic there in, in Oakland. Um, I, I think uh, I'm fine with the ranking here. I, I think they have some great young players, Matt Olson, of course, Matt Chapman, uh, on the corner as well. They have great pitching. Um, you know, I, I think the thing with Oakland is always going to be, they need that one piece. They need a couple more pieces to get them over the edge to be a real contender and uh, to, to be a, a World Series contender. Are they going to make those trades, though, at the All-Star break? I remember a couple of years ago, they, they traded for John Lester. Um, maybe that was a... That never really panned, and that really didn't pan out the way it, it should have. No, no, exactly. And, and I think... Billy really likes to hold on to those prospects. He doesn't really like to, you know, get rid of them. So they're a middling franchise. Are they, are they a world series, um, uh, you know, contenders? I, I don't think so, but could they make the playoffs make a little run? You know, I, I think that's, that's possible. It's a great thing to get to the playoffs, which is always what every team dreams to do. But the next goal is to go deep in the playoffs. And I feel like, yeah, Oakland gets there. Awesome. Let's let's you know, we celebrate that. Great. Then right. Billy Bean doesn't make the big moves that you want him to. He is a uh, the proverbial penny pincher, kind of like a cashman these days. Gets a few dead scraps off the scrap heap. All right, I'm going to roll them out there, see what I got. You know, I'm not going to spend a couple hundred million dollars. But you can't be content with just getting into the playoffs. You want to go to the World Series. You want to be a World Series winning team. You want to go deep, shock the world. You have to go out there and be aggressive in the trade market. Go out there and spend the money that you need to and build the product that you have and make them a contender. Here's another team that's primed to do that, actually. We've seen this team make moves at the deadline, get rental players to get themselves over the top. This team has fallen Mm. a lot in our top 10. They were number one for many consecutive weeks, all the way down to eight. And I think that's generous, the Tampa Bay Rays. Mm. Austin Meadows leading the club with 58 RBIs. When Glassdown went down, so did the Rays. They're starting to play a little better of late. I guess that's why they're ahead of the athletics right now, but... This is the first part of this ranking that I'm not too sure about. Yeah, I with the way the Rays have played of late, I would have said maybe put them higher than eight. I, I give them credit with how they've handled the Glasnow injury. They, they did rebound, and I'll give them that. But you start to see the weakness of the Rays at the same time. Without Glasnow, who's their ace? Are they going to have to go back to bullpenning games like they've done in the past? That may be what they have to do. And, and without know, spider tack, it seems their pitching is not as effective. Oh, no, it's not. They've been same thing with the Yankees. Look, Eric Cole did prove the at least prove the spider tack naysayers wrong against Houston of all teams to shut Houston down and go 129 pitches. I mean, and he was in a start where he really had to prove to the people I can pitch without spider tack. I'm not, I'm still the same pitcher that I was. Well, good for him. I talked about that in the rant. Um, no, did. no it's fair, but uh, yeah, but definitely it's hurt the Rays 100%. The spider tack has hurt the Rays. You've heard Glasnow complain about it. And you see what happens when the Rays, who don't have a offensive-heavy lineup, if they if you hold them to a couple runs and, and you're able to put enough runs ahead of them, then the Rays really can't come back from that. And it really just kind of puts them behind the eight ball at the very beginning. If you get to the Rays early, then I think that's where you can put them away. But they're still only a game and a half back. Corey, yeah. what do you think of this? Yeah, I, I think the glass now injury is really tough. Um, you know, that that having him at the, the front of your uh, rotation is really, really important. Um, I, I don't count out the Rays, though. I think similar to the, 
the A's, you know, they have some formula. Uh, they, they know how to pump out um, all, all, all these stars. Uh, you have Wander Franco, who just started recently, uh, the number one rookie uh, in all of baseball, number one prospect. So I'm excited to see what he he does. Um, but, you know, you, you really can't count out Tampa. I don't know if I can see them as contenders in, in the World Series. Um, and, and it's a really, really tough division. You have the Yankees, you have the um, the Red Sox, who look a lot better than everyone expected. Um, the Blue Jays don't sleep on them either. The Blue Jays are right there. Well, I was, was going to say, I'm sure the Blue Jays are on this list. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But I think going into the second half. Spoiler alert, no, they're not. They're not. Okay, so, uh, you know, maybe maybe they should be. But going into the next half, Ooh, that okay. is a team that I am calling hot take. They could win the division. Okay. Uh, you know, make the, the, you think the Rays take the East. You think the Rays are going to take the East? No, not the Rays. I'm so, uh, sorry. Uh, the, the, the Blue Jays, I don't think they'll take the East, but I think they make the playoffs. And I think they become one of the hottest teams in the second half. That's I think you're. I actually am. I'm actually semi on board with. I think the Yankees and the Blue Jays are going to be the two hottest teams in the American League in the second half. If the I Yankees hope. can get their acts together, yeah. And it's but, not um, be an e- for the Yankees, it's not an easy one. Eight of your next ten games literally are against the Red Sox. Well, that's what they need. That's what they needed after getting swept out of the first two game, series. You have a four-game series with them coming Thursday, coming right out of the All-Star break. Four games at home with Boston. I, I that is going to be the season. And that's some make point. or break. Yeah, that's yeah. make or break. Yeah. Well, you're, we're going to see the future of Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman decided next week. Number yeah. seven on this list, though, and I think this is low. Hmm. Well, we the got San Diego Padres with Fernando Tatis Jr. Hmm. leading the NL in home runs at 28, an OPS of 1.020. That is insane. Mark Melancon is 2-1, 204 ERA, and 27 saves out of 31 save opportunities. The closing at the back end of the bullpen has been great. Starters are good. Up and down the lineup, they're good. Machado's bat woke up. But they're still in third. If I had to disagree with Tony, it would be right here. Okay. Padres have, have not looked good down the stretch of the first half. They have not, they have not looked like their best. They've been struggling a bit. And you're kind of starting to see maybe the overuse of Melanson beginning to take its toll. He's been getting hit a little bit harder. Uh, Tatis has been kind of non-existent the last couple of weeks. Machado's been holding him Machado, up. Yeah, Machado has, but this is the National League West. And you cannot afford, if you are the Padres, to fall behind by too much. You're down six games with still the Dodgers and Giants ahead. And you still have games to play against them. I'm not saying the Padres can't make up some ground, but they have to start playing better the second half. And the, the pitching's been kind of not there. You Darvish has been okay, but the rest of that rotation, uh, what's happened to Chris Paddock? ERA yeah. over five over the yeah. last couple of outings. He's been bad. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you, John. I, I think, you know, you look in uh, the San Diego Padres lineup and, and there's a lot of magic there. You know, you want to get on board and say that they're the, they're the new team on the block, but uh, that's the Giants. Yeah, well, it could be, yeah. The Padres have been around for a while now. I mean, they they've have. been this way for the last couple of seasons. They haven't really been that relevant. Let's be no. real. I mean, in the last few years, they haven't made the playoffs in maybe a decade. I don't know. But, you know, you look at this team. They're built for now. Their uh, GM, I'm forgetting his name, has made a lot of moves in the offseason to try and get 
them over the hump, over uh, to contend with the Dodgers. A lot of people were picking them to overtake the Dodgers this year. They got you, Darvish, Blake Snell in the offseason. They still may. AJ Preller is a GM for the Padres. Yeah, huge, huge offseason acquisitions. You know, you, Darvish, hurt now. Blake Snell hurt now. Not only Blake Snell is hurt, but he's looked horrible. He's looked horrible. He could strike people out. That's about it, but he's got a 5-4 ERA. He has not been the same. He has not been the same since that World Series when Kevin Cash didn't let him finish the game. He's not been the same. I think um, the the Padres have a lot of question marks than than answers right now, and I think, you know, um, I'm worried about them. They need to get healthy with the pitching, but the the hitting is there. You know, I'd put the A's ahead of them right now. You got yeah, the I, I would yeah. say the Padres should be like should be where the Mets are at ten. I think the nah, no, 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 no. Padres are nine. I, I'd say Padres are at nine. At least nine. That's like my best nine for me. At yeah, least. I don't put them ahead of the Mets because of what the Mets just did with the Pirates. But let's go to number six, Perfect. and I think yeah. this is actually correct. Okay, what do you think? What do we got? The Brewers, Milwaukee Brewers. Milwaukee Brewers. Garcia's got sixteen home Brewers. runs, fifty-five RBIs. Brandon Woodruff is uh, third in the NL with two point zero six ERA. I, I can say that's fair. Corbin Burns. And they're pretty good. much dominating the Central right now. The Cubs are going to be sellers at the trade deadline, and the Cardinals don't look like they're going to be doing no. much of anything. The Reds are the Reds playing are kind sort of, a team of well. They, they, could, they could jump. if you know. I, I'd say the Reds could go on a little surge, but you're absolutely right about the Cardinals. Uh, they've really fallen down. They're, they're, they have a high walk rate. They've walked. I think they've walked more batters in the majors than any team. Yep. Wainwright's been, you know, again, Wainwright. He's at the end of his career. He's 39 years old. I mean, how much more can you ask of a 39-year-old in Wainwright? I don't know. Yeah. Carlos Martinez has been awful. He was one of their all-time long horses in that rotation. But the point is the Brewers are taking advantage. They're playing. No Jack Flaherty's hurt them. No Jack Flaherty has been a killer for the Cardinals. A yep. killer. Yep. But yeah. the Brewers are taking advantage. They're doing what they're supposed to do. They're winning games. Corey, your yeah. thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's a two-horse race right now. The Brewers and the Reds. Uh, the Brewers have a tremendous pitching staff. Um, obviously, you know, Yelich uh, is the face of that franchise. And, um, you know, from a hitting standpoint, they have a, a very uh, decent and, and good lineup. But their, their pitching is, is the reason why they'll go anywhere, like you said, with Corbin Burns and uh, Woodruff. So, um I, you know, I think it's a fine number here. I, I think, um, you know, their their GM has uh, seen uh, – we've seen him make moves at the deadline uh, in years past. Uh, I remember they got Jonathan Scope a couple of years yep. ago. They got Mike Moustakis mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to come and uh, try and help them and make a playoff push. So I, I think in the Central, it, you know, they, they could win, uh, you know, and get into the playoffs – you know, if pitching gets hot, we've seen with the Nationals what they did a couple of years ago with with their horses. Um, you know, they could they could do damage. I think they're a dangerous team in the NL. And we've seen the Brewers in the past. I have seen the Brewers, and we all have in the past. They have gone on deep runs in the playoffs before. We have as an organization, yes, they, and they still keep that mindset. So this I, team I, I, has this team's got a run in them. I can yeah, tell you, they're, they're going to have a run in them. They're impressive too. Also, what they do with their payroll—they don't spend a lot of money. They make great acquisitions. Craig Council is a tremendous manager, yeah. so all, all those things sort of check the box for me. Um, you know, and Josh Hader at the end of the oh, uh, of course, no uh, doubt, can't forget about him. Maybe third best team in the NL, in my opinion. Third best team in the NL right now. Yeah, number five. Yep. Um, the Chicago White Sox with Jose Abreu, MVP candidate, fourth in the league with uh, in the AL. I'm sorry, 66 RBIs. 
How about this one? Lance Lynn leads the AL. That's an ERA <laughs> with 1.99. Lance Lynn, ladies and gentlemen. Remember how the Yankees threw him away? Yeah, got to tip your you got to tip your cap to the to the White Sox and their old school mentality with Tony Larusa. You know, it wasn't long ago that we were bashing them a little bit. Um, Al, do you remember? Oh, I'm uh, still bashing them. They Irwin don't swing three no pitches. Uh, Mercedes, uh, you know, Larusa was calling him out for, for yeah, and now and now he's in the minors, and now yeah. he's in the minors. Well, he you struggled know. mightily, yeah. But you thought that was going to maybe tail the White Sox off. Then they were going to go on a tailspin. Uh, they were going to plummet. Everybody thought. After that, the White Sox were going to be dead in the water. It seems like it's made them stronger, not weaker. And despite not having a, you know, they, their middle of the pen is okay. You have Liam Hendricks to close, but you love what Lance Lynn's done. You have, you know, don't forget Giolito is like the other ace of this staff with Dallas Keuchel. You know, we don't even talk about those two, but they are a very good three-headed trio in that rotation. And you're even forgetting Carlos Rondon who had a, yeah, you know, Carlos no Rondon, yeah. So, mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I, I love the White Sox. I think that, you know, if you're talking, uh, pretender or contender, they are contender to me uh, looking into the to, to the World Series pool and, and, and not just talking about making the playoffs. I think that you have teams that we haven't named in the top 10, like the Red Sox, who I'm sure are on this list since they played so well. Yeah. But I, I don't see them as a future team. I think that the White Sox with their top to bottom lineup Maybe one of the best lineups in the in the league. You have Jose Abreu leading it. And Anderson um, is like the great starter at the top of the lineup. Yeah, it's it. Yeah, it's 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 dangerous team. I think they have a tremendous pitching staff. That's oh, what really wins you in the in the playoffs. Bullpen, we saw a taste of them last year. We saw a good taste of them even in an abbreviated uh, best two out of three kind of wild card format that they did. We saw a taste of this White Sox team, and and they have something. I. It's very clear they have something. Can I just say this? The White Sox have been that sexy pick for the AL Central for like four years in a row now. That AL Central's not been as good as we thought it was going to be. I thought the Royals were going to give them a fight. The Royals have really plummeted. Uh, Twins have been horrible. What's happened to the Cleveland Indians? Indians. Yeah. Indians are down. Finally, the White Sox are going to be alone at the top of this division, and it's finally time for them to produce. But – Corey, you seem to already disagree with this top 10 list. I, I could tell right now because of the team that's ahead of the right, the White Sox, and I believe this is right. In fact, I'm pretty sure about this entire rest of this top five. Um, the Red Sox are number four. I, I could talk to that quickly. So so if we're talking about a top 10 list right now, yep. I'm fine with that. I'm fine because the okay. Red Sox have played tremendous baseball. Uh, talk about uh, uh, an amazing hitting Team. I mean, Devers has been, he's looked like maybe one of the best. Devers and Martinez are dueling MVP candidates in the same lineup. And and Bogarts. Bogarts has been amazing too. I mean, you have top to bottom, one of the best lineups in all of baseball. And, you know, we, we all said, um, you know, the, the pitching was, was going to hold them back this year. We have oh, really native Aldi with nine and five record 3.66 ERA and 18 starts. Yeah, I mean, it, he's looking like a, a great sign now considering last year we, we almost, uh, you know, told him he was one of the worst pitchers in the league. So, and aren't they getting price back for the second half? Uh, they, uh, that's no, Chris uh, Sale. Chris Sale. Sale. That's right. A hint of what he was. Yes. He will be. The, uh, then I think the Red Sox are going to be, de- are going to, a lock to win that East. I'll just say though, I don't see them sustaining it. That's my call. I don't see them sustaining it for the second half. I they think the there are a couple of, yeah, in the AL East, you have uh, the, the Blue Jays, the Yankees. I, I don't think that the Red Sox win the East. 
So you see I them tailing wrong, off at bro. some point. So you see them tailing off at some point. I, I do. I do. I don't. Think I don't because they've been called. We've been calling for it all season long. We've seen them almost tail off a couple times. Then they turn around and win four or five in a row. This team looks battle tested. Alex Cora has them ready. And they hear every one of us sports pundit idiots go <laughs> on and talk about oh, they're going to tail off. They're going to tail off. You don't think you just gave the Red Sox another four wins there, Corey? I, I, I hope they're listening to us. I really do. I really do. I, well, they tailed off a little bit towards the all-star break. Uh, losing that series to the Phillies at home was kind of uh, not a good way to go out. And the Rays are, are knocking on the door. They're just a game and a half back. So the Red Sox still have to look in their rearview mirror a little bit. They haven't run away with the East yet. Everybody thought maybe at this point they would have run away with the AL East. And right now they haven't. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think the Yankees have firepower. They, you know, I, I think as we talked about before, uh, a huge four game series coming out of the all-star break. I think, you know, with the Cole outing, cause I think that could be a defining moment for the Yankees when he, uh, they came out to the, uh, the mound, they, they wanted to take the ball from him. He said, I'm said, no, I, you know, that could be a defining moment for the Yankees. And, you know, they come out of the gate, maybe they win three or four, maybe they even sweep. You know, you're talking about a, a four-game swing right there, and yep. uh, you know that that could propel them to, for, for the next 80 games of the season. The so. first game off the break will tell me everything I need to know yeah. where the Yanks are. Well, yeah. um, yeah, that could be a turning point of the season. By the by, just saying, good or bad, because um, I don't know about you, but does doesn't it sound a little suspect to you that Garrett Cole goes nine innings, pitches 129 innings? And then goes on an all-star break where he's resting, resting, resting. And then he's going to have to jump out and rev that engine up again. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. Well, but, I think what is it? Five-day rest? I mean, I, I think I think he'll be okay. I think Maybe. We'll see. Yeah. Number three, pitchers, the Astros. Michael Brentley is second in the AL in batting average of 326 as much as no one even cares about batting average Nobody anymore. Batting average. No. They well, should, though. <laughs> the Astros do. That's why they're winning. Um, yeah. Ryan Presley's four and one with a 1.42 ERA, 16 saves, 17 save opportunities. Good God, this team can hit. This Astros lineup is always been a dangerous lineup. Uh, you've seen it for the last couple of years. Right now, they don't even have Bregman and Correa yet. Yeah, both of them are out with injury. And wait till they come back, and then this lineup gets all the punch it needs with Altuve at the top of it. You have Jordan Alvarez. You have Brantley hitting. And even the bottom half, Guriel kind of carries the bottom half of the lineup. And then, you know, know but Tucker's been a, you know, uh, Kyle Tucker's been good. I mean, it's, it's a. I just want to bring something up, though. Yeah. When the Astros were playing their worst this season, it was when they were their healthiest. You notice that? It's kind of interesting. But, but then the Yankees shut them out in the first two games. And you saw without Correa and Bregman, uh, they're not as a big a threat of a lineup is if they have them in the lineup. So it's, even though the Yankees did beat them two out of three at home. Well, I, I think people forget, you know, you think about last season, uh, the Rays and the, the uh, Astros playing each other in a seven game series. They're down three Oh, yep. To win, to come back and win the next three games and push it to a game seven. I mean, you know, this is a team that's, you know, going to fight till the end. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they have, uh, you know, everything to play for with everything that happened a couple of years ago with the scandal and, and uh, the, the, the trash cans and all that. So I think they want to prove to the world that, you know, they can still win uh, and, and, and be great. So, um, you know, and I think Dusty Baker is a great manager, a great oh, yeah. to lead the team. He's a very steady 
uh, guy to, to have and lead the. Uh, I think he's getting more out of the squad than AJ Hinch did. Yeah, I mean, because Dusty doesn't have to do anything. He just yeah. has to sit, watch the team do its job. The players know their role. He doesn't. Have every to once in a while, he uh, every once in a while, he uh, taps uh, Altuve on the shoulder, saying, "Go get him, son. You can do it." Yeah. You know, he'll give <laughs> motivational speeches and stuff. Barry Bonds said Dusty Baker gave great speeches. Yeah, Barry Bonds yeah, has said that in the past. So all Dusty Baker has to go and do is give a great motivational speech, and then they're out there winning games. Number two, the Dodgers. Max Muncy's third in the NL with an OPS of 972. Walker Bueller has revitalized his career. Four and one with a 1.95 ERA in his last six starts. And uh, Kershaw, is it looking like his old self? He's on the uh, IL right now. He's actually out injured. Yeah, but But, but he'll be back for the playoffs. Rios, though, has been the big has been the big plus of this rotation uh, coming off winning the world series this past year. And Arias has 11 wins on the year already. 11 wins. Justin Turner's back to hitting above 300 and driving in runs. Like he was a few years ago. The bats are working. The scary part is Mookie Betts hasn't even gotten going yet. That's the scary part. Mookie Betts hasn't even begun to show you yet what he normally does. Yeah. Mookie Betts can make the hall of fame right now. If he never got another hit in his career, he could make the hall of fame right now. But we haven't seen him get going yet. Yeah, they don't even have Cody Bellinger, one of their uh, catalysts yeah. as well. So, I mean, you know, this is a team that has 50-some-odd wins this year. Um, they are a couple of games back, if not one or two, behind the Giants. Um, 56 I, wins they have. 56 wins to the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this is the – NL uh, NL champion right here. Uh, you know, I, I hate to say it. I'm a diehard Mets fan, but you have to think uh, the Dodgers are prime. They need to get a little bit more healthy. Urias, like you said, John looks unbelievable. Walker Bueller is is the guy that they uh, signed uh, a few years ago. Uh, you know, via the draft. So yeah. um, they are an impressive franchise with the highest payroll. So they should be this good. But and you've seen a lot of the some of these kids they brought up that have contributed right away to the cause. Uh, whoever heard of Zach McKinstry until yeah. this year, he has come out of nowhere and has been a, a catalyst for this offense when, when needed. They always seem to have somebody different every day that steps up to the plate. If one or two of them don't hit, maybe Gavin Lux comes out of nowhere with a big hit. Maybe Will Smith gets a big hit when you need him to. Maybe Muncie gives you a, a walk-off when you need one. Somebody different in this lineup every day for the Dodgers constantly has stepped up. So you never feel like they're out of a game. You never feel like a game is over when, even if you're ahead of the Dodgers, they find a way and they will continue to chip away until they win. See, here's the thing though. As much as everybody loves the Dodgers and thinks they're going to win the West, I happen to disagree with that. I don't think they're going to. I think the number one team in our top 10 is going to because they've shown you why they're going to all season long. San Francisco. Look, the your record is what it says it is, and your record says you're the best team in baseball right now. Brendan Crawford is sixth in the NL and OPS at 921. Gosman is second in the NL with a 1.73 ERA. Any other season, Gosman is a Cy Young candidate for sure. He yeah, is a shoe-in. It's kind of incredible how they've turned back the clock. Uh, uh, Corey, we remember what the what the Giants were like back in the early 2010s, you know, 2014. They won every other year. 20, uh, yeah, 2014, 2016. Buster Posey looks like his old self. I, I, I've never seen a catcher look like he's turned back his career. I think he's hitting better than he ever has in his career. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I think the thing that's exciting about this team also, you know, they have the pitching, uh, they have great hitters, uh, they have Buster Posey, who's a champion uh, and, and can lead the, the team. I, I think the dark horse here is um, Gabe Kapler. I mean, Gabe Kapler came over and he's a guy who sets the tone, uh, expects a lot out of his players. Uh, Gabe Kapler came over, obviously, from uh, the Phillies. It didn't work out. Um, with, with them, but I, I think, you know, you could see Gabe Kapler uh, taking over as the uh, Giants uh, manager, just like uh, Bruce Bochy did for the next 20 years, you know, so I, I think the, the Giants are just an impressive franchise. They, they had a little bit of a lull um, after the 2014 season until now. Um, they, they, they had some horrible signings yeah. with guys like, um, Oh, what's his name? The long-haired guy, uh, uh, pitcher. He played. For oh, oh, um, I think I know. I'm trying. Help to me. Up. It's okay. We need yeah, your Samarja. 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 Jeff oh, yeah, Samarja. that's right. Oh God. Cueto was not a good signing uh, either. So Cueto stabilized. Cueto's arm went down better. before it was supposed to. Yeah. That whole that whole core disintegrated Cueto, Cueto immediately. Cueto up to this point has been okay. He's been uh, okay, but no, Cueto's been solid price. for that franchise. Actually, not for the price that you're paying for him, though. I no, mean, not at all. In, in yeah. years prior, this year he's been good. But I think the thing that's most exciting, obviously, Kevin Gosman. They saw something in him. Yeah. They brought him over. He's cheap. You didn't see any of this when he was with the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. Come I, over I, to the and now you come over to the Giants, and he and he's a whole different pitcher now. Well, yeah. I mean, when you, you would, the same thing with Alex Wood. You know, yeah. Alex Wood, same thing. You know what the difference is? San Francisco is an organization that even though they're in a lull, you expect excellence out of them. Yeah. Eventually, you expect them to get back to it because their ownership and their management is really committed to winning. Yeah. So imagine what a change in attitude like that would do. Right. And then, of course, you're not going up against the AL East anymore with, with the, in regards to who you're pitching you're to. You're playing a very tough West. Now, that NL West ain't, ain't a joke. No, it's and not. But top to bottom, the teams don't hit as well as they do in the AL East. Also, and to be also fair, uh, Giants Park is a pitcher's park. It is not a home run ballpark. Like so the Bam really Box in Baltimore. This and Gossman's a fly ball pitcher. This well, is advantage pitchers here. If you look at their lineup, too, they're contact hitters. You got Brandon Crawford, yeah. Brandon Belt, uh, you know, Buster Posey, Mike Yastrzemski. Mike you know, th these aren't guys who are – blasting 35, 40 home runs a year. They're spraying the ball across the ballpark. So I think they're playing to that advantage. They're, they're playing sm a little bit more small ball and um, you know, they have tremendous pitching. So, you know, that's a great combination. Big McGee has been a great out of the pen closing games. Uh, yeah, Tyler Rogers has been Rogers a great, has been amazing. Great. Yeah. Goodness. They almost remind me in a way of the, they're like the national league Red Sox. If you really look at this team, they don't, yeah, the contacting team. They don't need to score a lot of runs, but they pitch well enough that maybe three, four runs. That's enough to win you a game. And do you know what they also do? They work your opposing team's pitcher because while a base hit or a long at bat might not play well in the analytics book, it plays well against the opposing pitcher's arm. It gets them more tired faster, gets them through your lineups quick, gets you uh more turns against that pitcher earlier in the game. They are one of the more fundamentally sound teams in the game right now. The, the only thing I'll say is that when you stack up uh, Kevin Gosman against Jacob DeGrom or Kevin Gosman against Walker Bueller or Kevin Gosman against, uh, you know, uh, Corbin Burns, yeah. you know, I'd want all those other pitchers instead of Kevin Gosman. I mean, Kevin Gosman has looked great this year. Mm. 
but can he do it in the playoffs? That's right? a big question. That's, We're going to find think, out. Yeah, I, I think there, there are question marks around these guys in, in the playoffs. Obviously, the Giants as a franchise have a lot of experience. Buster Posey, three championships. Uh, Brandon Crawford, three championships. So the, the pedigree is there. Uh, I, I think I still think that, uh, you know, I'd go with DeGrom all day uh, in, in, a, in a, you know, five-game series. I, I like some of the Mets pitchers better. I like some of the uh, Brewers pitchers better. I'm going to be very curious to see what the, what the Giants are going to do come the second half of the break. Because remember, they have to take on the rest of that National League West for the remainder of the year. And obviously, they have to play the Mets a couple of times. They're going to see the AL West in little chunklets for the rest of the year. The key, though is when they have to play the Dodgers for the remaining, for like the final batch of the year. And they're going to end the year, by the way, with San Diego as well. So they got the Padres and Dodgers kind of right at the end of the season. Are they going to be in firm control of that West? And maybe those don't mean anything. Let me tell you something. If you're in the National League West, your playoffs have started at the, at the beginning of uh, the end, the second half of the year. There's your playoffs. It begins yeah. right there. Now, Corey, we brought you in as a guest researcher to evaluate our researchers' work with this top 10. What do you think of this list? You know, I, I think it's a very good list. I think you did a good job. Maybe we'll bring you on maybe again towards the end of the season, beginning of the playoffs, evaluate yeah. the top 10 by then. Maybe we'll uh, we'll give another evaluation by then. We'll see about that, though. Yeah. That's your seatbelts, fans, for the second half of the 2021 season great so, well hell of a ride thanks so much for having me on guys i'm really great uh grateful for the opportunity yeah Thank no you, problem Corey. Corey. thanks for coming on that was Corey davis former researcher for wfan we have other things to do as we go on thanks a lot Corey. when we come back dr kate snedden is going to come on and talk some injuries with us because like we said before we're not doctors and i'm so sick and tired of everybody talking injuries without medical degrees. So we're going to get someone on who has one of those to explain what's going on with uh, some torn ACLs, some hyperextended knees, things that are affecting major races and major playoffs going on in sports today. Back after this. And we're back to downtown sports. I am the beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente, along with my co-host, the mouth of the South, John Schiavone. would like to thank Corey Davis for joining us. He was a and researcher at WFN. Yep. And he acted as our uh, kind of our special researcher for Tony Mainville, looking through Tony Mainville's MLB top 10. We thank him very much. Shout out to Tony as well. Great job on the top 10. And now we move into the final piece of our show today. Talking about a, uh, a couple of injuries that have been happening over the last week. Yep. Injuries to Giannis Antetokounmpo, the ACL tear to Ronald Acuna Jr. And of course, Garrett Cole's 129 pitch performance against the Houston Astros. And here to join us, we're pleased to welcome back a very special guest of ours. Pleased to have her back. Dr. Kate Snedon of Beach, New York Physical Therapy. Doc, how are you Glad doing? Glad to be today? back. Glad to be back. How's it so, going, guys? Like I said, like I said, when we talk injuries, we're not talking like we are some doctors. We don't know anything. Like I said, I don't know if the hip bone connects to the neck bone. It probably doesn't. Um, I'm sure there's like a bunch of conduits from that. But let's get into it because we need to know what the real deal with these injuries are. Let's start with Giannis Antetokounmpo. 
of the Milwaukee Bucks in in the Hawks series. He hyperextends his knee. And uh, this has been a big thing. There was no structural damage. They say it's just very sore. It affected his game one performance. Game two, he comes back and scores 40 points. Game three, he uh, helps lead them to a 20-point win. What's the deal with an injury like that, a hyperextended knee? I, I remember doing that once, and I couldn't walk for a good week. So I, I'm sure he's a, in much better physical condition than me, that, that he would be able to walk faster. But how is he able to play NBA basketball on that leg right now? So for, for everyone that didn't see the injury occur, you watched it. He came down. It was like, ooh, you know, you, you don't need any medical knowledge. No, that is not something that should be happening to your knee, and it's not going to feel good. So with a hyperextension injury, and especially his, he was coming down from a jump in which his knee buckled backward versus a forward buckle. So your knee is just not supposed to go that way. That's the easy way to say it. Um, so that's going to stress all the structures in the back of your knee. So and, and some of the interior structures. So primarily you're, you're worried when you see that type of injury that it's gonna damage the ACL, which is the anterior cruciate ligament, the PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, which are primarily in charge of keeping the tibia and the femur right where they're supposed to be on top of each other, um, the posterior capsule and the um, popliteal ligament in the back. Mm. So, Basically, when that happens, it's, it's very hard to come back from. But since he did not have structural damage, that doesn't mean that his knee is not hurting bad. Because when that happens, it creates um, distraction at the back and compression at the front. So if you're looking at the knee joint basically sideways, the front's going to be crushing together and the back is ripping apart, which doesn't sound very good, does it? No. Um, so luckily he had top-notch care so he was getting 24-hour care and this was according to things i've read online i obviously don't know him personally but um getting 24-hour care he's getting lifting sessions he's getting constant recovery so he's getting like top-notch recovery technology compression sleeves ice sleeves you name it he's got it um, so that's likely why, plus no structural damage, why he was able to get back so quick. I was truthfully surprised after looking at that injury online that he was able to come back so quickly. It's it's truly remarkable and a testament to his will to play. But wouldn't like, when you have an injury like a hyperextension and you're, yes, obviously trying to rehab it, wouldn't, couldn't rehabbing it kind of, particularly if you're trying to get the knee kind of flexed out again, couldn't that make the hyperextension worse? Maybe it could aggravate something else when trying to kind of recover from such a thing? Mm -hmm. So in, in terms of the immediate recovery, um, you're trying to get his quad to fire again and all the muscular protection to basically recuperate. Because when you land on your one leg, it's usually six to eight times your body weight of force coming through your leg. So he's absolutely at risk for an injury at the f in the future, um, especially he's going really quickly back to that high level intensity um, with the top-notch athletes around the world in terms of basketball. So he's in the, in the next several weeks, he's still at risk in my opinion 
of re-injuring it. He steps wrong. He comes down on it wrong. He could easily re-injure that, that leg. We're talking with Dr. Kate, and um, I just want to get right into the next set of injuries. Uh, we have Ronald Acuna Jr. of the Atlanta Braves and Kawhi Leonard, both. Um, Kawhi Leonard has suffered, um, and you brought, brought up the ACL, which is a good transition to this. Kawhi Leonard, after about a week of not knowing what was going on since the, he has a partially torn ACL, he got surgery for it. And Ronald Acuna Jr. has a fully torn ACL Mm -hmm. and is about to get surgery for that. So when the ACL tears, just explain how devastating an injury that is. So if you're an athlete, you're going to have to get it repaired. The average person can, as long as they're not doing any high level activities, be without it. But your ACL controls the anterior sliding of your tibia in relation to your femur so it's basically the thigh bone to the shit the main shin bone um so it's very important that it stays intact and it's it's a pretty rigorous course of rehab that even the best of the best are struggling to prevent re-tears when people return to sport so when you look at the rehab process um after surgery there's the immediate protection phase where we're just trying to get the quad to fire. You're most likely um, weight bearing is tolerated with a brace. So you're wearing a constant brace that keeps your legs straight. You're walking with crutches likely for a couple of weeks, depending on the surgeon. And then once you get rid of that, the uh, brace and you establish good quad control, we're looking at developing really, really good strength. And this is something that clinicians struggle with everywhere. Cause it's really hard to get your athlete strong enough to return to what they're doing, let alone prevent a retear and make sure everything's good. So that process goes on until week 12 or so. And then you can start some jogging if you have a way to limit gravity. So there's things called anti-gravity treadmills, which um, most athletes have access to, which kind of decrease the body force as you're, running. So that's a safe place to start running. And then week 16 and on is when you can really start jumping, um, all that really stuff that we think you need to be a a high level athlete. Um, and the, the real issue is that study after study has shown that if you return to sport before nine months, your retail rate is astronomically higher. Oh boy! So you got to respect the body's healing process even if you have the best care you can't rush it and we've seen uh some players have come back from three tears comparing the difference i guess between like a partial and a fully torn acl do they take different amounts of time to come back from can can you come back from a partial tear a little faster than you do oh absolutely a partial tear as long as you're strong enough you can be back as long as you pass your, your testing. So let's say you get a partial tear. You take as, as quick as a week to two weeks, hmm. you can start to be doing some maybe non-contact things. Even after surgery? Yeah. Not after surgery. Oh, no. A partial tear, you don't necessarily need surgery for. So let me clarify. If you have a partial tear and you are going the non-surgical route, it is a much faster road to getting back. And that is if the surgeon and your, your medical staff 
determines that you're safe to do so. So you, so you have to pass rigorous um, hop testing, rigorous conditioning, decelerating, accelerating tests that make sure you are really good to go. So that is very dependent on the person and, and how much is torn. Like let's say you get a partial tear, but only let's say you have still 70% intact. That's a pretty quick road to recovery. Now, let's say you only have 30% intact still. That's gonna be a little bit more precarious. And that's not something that the MRI is necessarily going to determine. It's gonna be, can I hop as good on my left foot as my right foot without compensating crazy? Yeah, so can you, can you ever, for players that have multiple tears of the ACL, can you ever come back the same way from an ACL tear with time or whatever bits of athleticism you had before the tear, you really don't have it anymore. And maybe you have to change the way one plays. ACL is one of those unique injuries that are catastrophic and maybe season ending, but they're not career ending. Mm. So you, you can make a comeback. And it, if you're going to be a professional athlete and you have multiple tears, it's going to be something you're going to have to work at and pay conscious attention of through the rest of your career, but you can still perform at your optimal level with good care. Moving on to the next um, athlete, uh, just recently Garrett Cole threw a complete game against the Houston Astros and threw 129 pitches. We talked about it a little bit with uh, the amount of, stress on your arm when you throw a lot of pitches uh, minor young kids in the little league throw about 85 pitches now and uh, Garrett Cole had thrown 116 but he never threw 129 back in the days in the 50s and 60s it was normal for pitchers to throw that much not as much in today's game does the strain of those 129 plus pitches that you're throwing that last start could it have an effect on your arm later down the road because it happened to guys like Johan Santana he threw a no hitter mm -hmm. And he was never the same after throwing about 130 pitches one night. Mm -hmm. Just what happens to the arm over time as you're throwing the ball as much as with yeah. 100 mile an hour velocity as Cole did. So first off, can I say what a crazy animal athlete he is to be throwing uh, pitches at speeds between 90 and 100 miles per hour is impressive, let alone 129 pitches in a game. That's that's phenomenal strength, phenomenal athleticism, and definitely should be commended. Is it smart? No, it's not. Because you're – so the way they recommend you to throw, right? So there's kind of a chart that looks at your skeletal maturity to number of pitches you throw. So obviously he's a – old enough man that he qualifies in the in the last category where you can throw up to I think it's 109 pitches mm. um that and then the chart stops so so <laughs> throwing 129 is <coughs> a little bit absurd realistically where they recommend five days rest after which is why he probably didn't participate in the all-star game However, there's not even a recommendation for 129 because that's a ridiculous amount of stress to put your shoulder and arm under. He's, the amount of torque that is going through his arm, elbow, shoulder mm -hmm. is, I, I can't even put a number on it because I'm, it would just be uh, conjecture, but it's a lot. That's a lot. And 
to do it with the accuracy he was doing, absolutely more challenging for each joint to recover from. So he should be resting, like, in my opinion, longer than a week before trying to, to step back into the game. So if that you're the would Yankees, be the responsible you be decision. Yes. You, you'd be holding him out as next time. Absolutely. Even if he says, I feel great, it's he's halfway through his season. It's not worth risking down the line when you're getting to the, the more meaningful games. And this is where Tommy John could rear its ugly head if you throw that wrong that pitch one time and could blow your arm or you feel something pop in your arm. And that becomes absolutely Tommy his John's shoulder river. too. His yeah. shoulder is not safe either. Well, we hope uh, Brian Cashman's analytics book allows for uh, such uh, such a rest period. Dr. Kate, we're going to get you out of here on this last question. Um, I know you know a little bit about UFC and their physical therapy. Conor McGregor's. I, I, I don't know what that was. That was a compound fracture like I've never seen. That was almost on the same level of disgusting as Dak Prescott's. McGregor was lucky the bone didn't go through his leg. Um what happened? What kind of recovery period are we looking at for him? And let's be real. Other fighters have said he could never fight again. He'll never be able to kick with that same level of power again. Do you agree with that? So that injury was wild because it's very unexpected. You know, like sometimes you'll see them make shin contact and kind of see the moment it wraps around basically the, the fracture, the distal part of the limb wraps around. Um, so he kind of stepped back and that's when the fracture became apparent, um, which I thought was very interesting because there was this whole de debate whether he fractured it on the step back or he fractured it on a kick prior. Truthfully, this is my opinion. I think he fractured it or had micro trauma from the training camp. And then, um, in one of the shin kicks kind mm -hmm. of did the damage and we only saw it when he stepped back. So I did think it happened earlier in the fight and that step back was the, basically the straw that broke the camel's back. So that was, so that I, was the, kick, the kick to Poirier's elbow. You think that was the one that did it? It could have been, it could have been, I obviously can't say for sure, but exactly that's, what his coach that's my thoughts. That's what, yeah. that's what his coach is hinting at. It might've happened right there. They said it was possible with about 10 seconds left in the first round. That's where he got hurt. Yeah, because when he stepped back, you would expect a step back like that to be a, a rolled ankle or a sprained ankle if something was going to happen. But you saw like above the ankle joint, it just sheared off like crazy bananas. Okay, so back to your question. So as far as the recovery, he got an RIF, which is a, um, a fixator that they do surgically to keep everything together. I, I do anticipate that he will be able to fight again in terms of power production and the precision that he have had, it might be a had, I don't know. And about um, how, how long do you think this recovery is? Cause this is insane. So, it looks like it would be a two year long, three year long recovery. I'm, I'm sure that's not it, but just by how gruesome it looked, it looks like it's going to take a long, long time. Sometimes it's better to actually fracture it than sprain it because the, the bone will heal up to like 80 to 90% of what it was, which is enough. Mm -hmm. The ligaments won't. So he actually has a better chance than if he really, really, really badly sprained it 
That's my opinion. Um, but in, in terms of recovery, it's, it's tough to say because he, he put out a, out a thing that said, oh, six weeks, I'll be back in training. Connor, no, you won't. Um, you'll just be starting to be able to kind of bear weight and have it heal. I think to get to back to where he was, minimum six, seven months. And that's being very liberal with my estimate. Dr. Kate Snedden, Beach NY Physical Therapy. They're in three locations right now, right? Yes, we are. We're in Rockway Park. We are on 86th Street in Rockway, and we are in Howard Beach. So go to Dr. Kate Snedden if you have an injury and you need to feel better, you need physical therapy, because we can't afford the people that the NBA have. We have Dr. Kate. She'll take care of you. She's going to take great care of you guys. Um, Dr. Kate, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me back. Always, always. That's going to wrap up this edition of Downtown Sports. I want to thank Tony Mainville for our MLB Top 10. I want to thank our guest here today, Dr. Kate Snedon, for joining us. I want to thank our former intern, Corey Davis, for raising us with his presence during our MLB Top 10. You can listen to Downtown Sports on 14 different platforms. We are on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, and Verbal. 14 platforms, rants, episodes, digital market battle specials every Tuesday, Wednesday. We are Downtown Sports, and we are where sports come home. I want to thank our statistician, Crystal Large, as well for that uh, kosher NBA four-piece all the way back in the beginning of the show. I want to thank our producer, Girl Friday, for them, for the Beast of the East, Jonathan Pariente. On the mouth of the South, John Schiavone saying, we're out. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>